Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am covering in this audio Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to call this section of Scripture the first five bold judgments. I'll use the translation bold. David Chilton likes chalice, which does sound a little bit more sophisticated, but the English translations tend to use bold, so I'm going to call it the first five bold judgments. Our context is this, in the whole previous chapter, which was only eight verses, we had seven angels appear in the heavenly scene that John was seeing there in the temple of God, and they all were given seven bowls of wrath by one of the seven, seven, four living creatures, getting ready to pour out the bowls of wrath, and now we're going to see what happens when they pour out the bowls of wrath. Now we're going to see that the wrath is going to fall on the two geopolitical entities that persecuted Jesus, namely apostate rabbinic Judaism, the old Israel, if you will, and also the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is going to get theirs on the fifth bold judgment. The first four are for the land, the land of Israel. So we start in Revelation 16.1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, that's the seven angels who had the seven bowls of judgment in the previous chapter. We heard a loud voice from the temple. That's probably God telling the angels, go do your job. Go and pour out on the land the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, that translation could be go out and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. As we see, if you translate it that way, then that would include the Roman Empire. Either way, wrath is coming. Now, the fact that the loud voice came from the temple, that emphasizes the divine origin of the wrath. Like I said, it's probably the God's voice. He's saying, I'm pouring out my wrath now. And it's the utmost wrath. It's the bowl wrath that's about to come upon Israel. Remember, they were, in the structure of Revelation, they were seven seals on that rolled up covenant, that rolled up scroll, which stood for the new covenant, for that new covenant to be in place. The la- all the seals had to be broken, which were judgment. Most of them were judgments. And then the seventh seal was seven trumpets, and most of them were judgments. And then the seventh trumpet was seven bowls. And so that's where we are here now. And as we went from seals, the seals had 25% judgment on the land. The trumpets had 33% judgment on the land, and the bowls now have 100% judgment on the land. Buddy, it's going down now, big time. Revelation 16:2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. That would be all the Jews who sucked up to the Roman Empire and got the Roman Empire to, mercy, to kill Jesus especially referring to the Jewish leaders. They had the mark of the beast because on their heads and their foreheads, and they worshipped his image. They worshipped that idolatrous, idolatrous image of the Roman Empire because they wanted the Romans to kill Jesus and his apostles. So, well, maybe not. Well, I can't, yeah, his apostles too because they constantly took the apostles before the Roman magistrates all through the book of Acts. So this is what the Jews wanted to do. They worship the beast, and and as a result of that, they're going to get a loathsome and malignant sore on themselves. Boils, if you will. Pus running out everywhere. Now, of course, this is symbolic, but you get the idea. It's as if the mark of the beast had broken out in a deadly infection. <laughs> this is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28, 27, and 35. The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. 
Deuteronomy 28, of course, tells the, of the terrors of the law of not keeping the law. Well, of course, these Old Testament people, these Jewish murderers of Jesus, they had not kept the law at all. They had murdered the Son of God, and so they got terrible punishment. Now, the mark of the beast there, of course, is the sea beast, just to make, make it clear, not the land beast. The land beast referred to Israel, apostate Israel. The sea beast is the Roman Empire. If you recall, in the chapter that we discussed this, the sea beast made an image of the, excuse me, the land beast made an image of the sea beast. That shows that they were making an idol. Israel was making an idol of the Roman Empire to show that they were in close cahoots with each other. We go to Revelation 16, verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. So this is the bloody sea bowl. Blood, when you see blood, that's primary symbolic significance is uncleanness, death, because blood polluted everything in the Old Testament system. And it was blood like that of a dead man, which means the blood was not running in streams. It was rather clotted, coagulated, putrefying. My brother-in-law had a stent put in. They gave him blood thinners. And one day I looked at his arm and the blood was running everywhere. Oh, it was awful. But now a dead man's blood doesn't run at all. It just clots up. And that's what happened in the sea here. So this is some, it's probably symbolic. Every living thing in the sea died because blood will kill people. You can't drink blood. Animals can't drink. If you drink it, enough of it, it's going to kill you. It's a symbol of death because it's not inside the body. So every living thing in the sea died. Now, I say that's symbolic of the death that's coming on the Roman Empire, but it could have some literal reference. This is a passage from Josephus that's quoted a lot by Orthodox Preterists. The Jewish War, Book 3, Section 9, Paragraph 9. I think that's how the citation runs. Thousands of Jewish rebels fled to the Sea of Galilee from the Roman massacre of Tarakia. Setting out on the lake in small, flimsy boats, they were soon pursued and overtaking, overtaken by the sturdy rafts of Vespasian's superior forces. Then they were mercilessly slaughtered. The Jews could neither escape to land, where all were in arms against them, nor sustain a naval battle on equal terms. Disaster overtook them, and they were sent to the bottom, boats and all. Some tried to break through, but the Romans could reach them with their lances, killing others by leaping upon the barks and passing their swords through their bodies. Sometimes, as the rafts closed in, the Jews were caught in the middle and captured along with their vessels. If any of those who had been plunged into the water came to the surface, they were quickly dispatched with an arrow or a raft overtook them. If, in their extremity, they attempted to climb on board the enemy's rafts, the Romans cut off their heads or their hands. So these wretches died on every side in countless numbers and in every possible way until the survivors were routed and driven onto the shore, their vessels surrounded by the enemy. As they threw themselves on them, many were speared while still in the water. Many jumped ashore where they were killed by the Romans. One could see the whole lake stained with blood and crammed with corpses, for not a man escaped. During the days that followed, a horrible stench hung over the region and it presented an equally horrifying spectacle. The beaches were strewn with wrecks and swollen bodies, which, hot and clammy with decay, made the air so foul that the catastrophe that plunged the Jews into mourning revolted even those who had brought it about. Josephus says not a man escaped. That sounds like every living thing in the sea died, which the second angel with his bowl Effected when he said he poured out the bowl and every living thing in the sea died. That sounds awful literal to me. That sounds like that's a literal fulfillment. 
We go now to Revelation 16:4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Blood, again, is a symbol of pollution. What was clean and pure became foul and polluted. That's everywhere in the Old Testament. For example, a woman in her menstruation period, her blood made her unclean. She couldn't go to the temple, that kind of thing. So blood stands for death and impurity and all the rivers and springs. The rivers and springs, of course, refer to the source of life because fresh water is the source of life. You've got to have fresh water to live. But no, sir, not in judged Israel. Their sources of water became blood. Again, that's symbolic. This judgment is hitting everything. The people are going to have sores. The sea, like the Sea of Galilee, is going to be full of blood and death, and all the springs and waters are going to become blood. Everything is going down. You notice there's no 25 and 33 percent. It's it's gone. It's all. Every living thing in the sea died, not 33 percent of them. Revelation 16:5. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you, you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. I don't know who the angel of the waters is. But notice that he is praising God for what? For his retributive justice. He's praising God for his judgment, for his wrath. Righteous are you who are and who are, O Holy One, because you judged these things. We shouldn't be afraid to pray that way. Now, this is not in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. How many times do you hear people say, well, David prayed that the, his enemies would have their baby's teeth smashed against rocks. Oh, how horrible that is. But that wasn't the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's just little Jesus, meek and mild folks. This is the New Testament. And the angel is saying, praise you, God, because you're pouring judgment on the land. I'm getting ready to do a little 15-minute teaching on New Testament imprecatory prayers. I'm doing that this next Tuesday because I think the church needs to start praying that way against its enemies because otherwise we're just sitting ducks. We're getting wiped out by the American culture, the Western culture, the Antichrist culture. It's getting worse every day, every week, every month, every year. And Christians had better wake up and start praying for judgment on their enemies. Now, we should pray that individuals would be saved out of these unrighteous institutions that are persecuting the church. Of course we should, but that does not gainsay the necessity of us praying that our enemies be judged. If apostate Israel had not been judged, the gospel would not have spread and you and I wouldn't be here today. Judgment is extremely necessary in, the, in, the, in God's scheme of things. So we go to Revelation 16:6. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets. The they there, of course, is talking about the apostate Jews. They poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. little retributive justice there. They poured out blood, and so here comes some more blood for you to drink. Poetic justice. They deserve it, says this angel of the waters. That angel of the waters, I should have pointed that out, is the third angel. He's the angel of the waters because he poured out blood on the rivers and springs of waters. All right, Romans, uh, Revelation 16.6 says they, that means the apostate Jews, poured out the blood of saints and prophets. Now, Jesus has already said that the murder of the prophets is why the blood of the righteous would be poured out in judgment on that wicked generation. We read Jesus speaking in Matthew 23, verses 31 through 36. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them who killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. 
Now that is Jesus predicting the persecution that the Jews were going to wreak upon the early church. And then as a result of that, he says in verse 35 of Matthew 23, the result of all that is that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the land, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. This generation of wicked Jews, that's who has to drink the blood of those springs and waters. Instead of drinking blood waters that give them life, they drink blood which will kill them. You've given them blood to drink instead of water. They deserve it. Why? Because of all the blood that they've shed, as Jesus predicted. Now verse 16. Verse 6 of Revelation 16 says, They, these wicked apostate Jews, poured out the blood of saints and prophets. Now, we've already seen how Jesus said they were going to do that. Saints and prophets is sort of an Old Testament term, but it's referring to the New Testament church that gets persecuted. Here's some example of the characteristic crime of Israel, i.e. the murder of prophets. Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16 but the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers, sending them time and time again, for he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept ridiculing God's messengers, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. And that, folks, was still going on in that first generation after Jesus' crucifixion. Luke 13, verses 33 through 34 Jesus is speaking, yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem kills them all, so there's nobody, no prophet left to get killed outside of Jerusalem. Verse 34, Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Acts 7.52, this is during Stephen's persecution. Which of the, Stephen speaking, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, i.e. Jesus. They even killed those people whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. I'm trying to think of who was killed that foretold Jesus. I'm thinking about maybe Isaiah. I think tradition has it he was sawn in half. I'm not sure who Stephen was referring to. Not off the top of my head anyway. But the point is here is that the scripture, Old Testament history, is referred to by people in the New Testament, including Jesus and Stephen, that history is referred to to show that Jews were all the time killing prophets. And they're just going to keep right on. And they're going to drink blood because of it. Because, quote, unquote, they deserve it. Revelation 16:7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, how does an altar speak? How does an altar speak? An altar is a piece of piece of wood i mean how does it speak well he's referring john is referring here to the saints who were gathered around the base of the altar that's the bronze altar in the vision where the blood of the saints and prophets had been poured out we read that in revelation 6 verses 9 10 and 11 when he he that's the lamb jesus opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of god and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the land and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. 
So when the altar is crying out, it's those saints who had been murdered by the apostate Jews. They're the ones that are crying for justice. And they're the ones who are crying and say, yeah, your judgments are righteous, Lord. They got reason to be. They got killed by these characters. And you see, there's nothing wrong with praying for, for righteous judgment. That's the martyred saints praying for righteous judgment. The third bowl angel said the same thing. He said, they deserve it. He said in verse 5, righteous are you, O holy one, who judged all this mess. So if the third angel says it and the martyrs say it, there's nothing wrong with saying righteous are you, Jesus, when you judge. Little Jesus, meek and mild. Now here's an interesting comment about the Old Testament background of this scene here with the third angel pouring out blood. J. Massingbird Ford, who is deceased now, she was a theologian at Notre Dame, and she wrote a commentary on Revelation that's quoted all the time. She wrote it in 1975. She said that the prayers in verses 5, 6, and 7 of Revelation 16 are based on the song sung by the priests and Levites during the interval between the preparation and offering of the sacrifice. They slay the animal, then they collect all the blood in the bowls and get ready to sprinkle the blood all, all over the altar. So think of how close that is to verse 5. I heard the angels of the water say you were just because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. So you've given them blood to drink. So there's a connection there between the Old Testament and John's vision. We go now to verses 8 and 9 of Revelation 16. The fourth angel, that's the fourth angel with his bowl of judgment, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory, which to me is pretty stupid. Why would you not repent? They didn't. They shook their fist at God until the city was a smoking ruin. Jerusalem, gone. Now, pouring out the bowl upon the sun, the sun gives heat, and then it get, got real hot after the bowl came. It scorched men with fire. This is symbolic of judgment because fire is a typical symbol of judgment. The fire that scorched the evil men in Israel is the opposite of what God's, God does to the righteous, which is to give shade. We see in Revelation 7, verses 15 and 16, for this reason they are before the throne of God, that's the good guys, the Christians, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. So the blessed get shade, the unrighteousness get scorched fire, or scorched with fire. And notice they still didn't repent. That's There's another place in Revelation, I don't have it in front of me, but it said the, they hid in the caves and the rocks and the mountains fell on top of them. They still didn't repent. People can be pretty stubborn. Now I said that fire was a typical symbol of judgment. In this case, it actually could be literal because there was a fire that burned up Jerusalem in AD 70. It wasn't a fire that came from the sun, of course, but it was still a fire that burned up Jerusalem in AD 70. All right, now, Revelation 16, verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That's the sea beast. That's the Roman Empire. So now we're switching from judgment on apostate Israel to judgment on Rome, the other geopolitical entity that persecuted, that murdered Jesus and persecuted the church. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, most of the judgments in Revelation are aimed at apostate Israel, but now Rome gets their share of judgment. 
because the Romans had joined in with Israel to persecute the church. Now, we've read in Revelation 3.10 that there was a great tribulation. depends on how you translate this, but we can read Revelation 3.10 as saying a great tribulation had come upon the whole world. That would be the Roman world. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So there's a symbol of empire-wide persecution, not just the land. Now, you could translate Revelation 3.10, the hour of testing which is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the land. And if you do it that way, then what you mean is that all the judgment that's coming on the Roman Empire is going to affect Israel because Israel is a part of the Roman Empire either way. But I think it's better to translate it Earth here because it just it's just simpler to say that, hey, man, Rome is going down just like Israel is. Now, to put some flesh on this, let's read some ancient historians and, the, and early histor uh, theologians who talk about the horrors of what happened to the Roman Empire at the same time that they were trying to destroy Israel. They were having a bad time too. Let's start with Tacitus of the famous Roman historian Tacitus. He said, quote, there were, not quote, I'm sorry, I'm just summarizing what he said. There were wars, revolutions, riots, and worldwide convulsions that racked the Roman Empire after Nero committed suicide in June 68. That was the beginning of the year of four emperors when Nero committed suicide so from June of 68 all the way up into the end of 69, or near the end of 69, is called the Year of Four Emperors because the Roman Empire almost destroyed itself in civil war. Here's a quote from F.W. Farrar, The Early Days of Christianity, 1882, pages 555 and following. Quote, the horrors inflicted upon Rome and Romans in the civil wars by provincial governors are already symbolized as the horns of the wild beast. Such were Galba, Otho, Vitellius, and Vespasian. Those are the four emperors in the year of four emperors. Tacitus says in another place, and Josephus quotes him here, or Josephus also mentions this, is, says this, Vespasian and Mucianus deliberately planned to starve the Roman populace. And in the fierce struggle of the Batellians against Sabinus and Domitian, and the massacre which followed, there occurred the event which sounded so portentously in the ears of every Roman, the burning to the ground of the temple of the Capitoline Jupiter on December the 10th, A.D. 69. Now think about that. The great Jewish temple went down in August of 70, and the previous December, the number one pagan temple in the Roman Empire was burnt to the ground. Judgment on the sea beast and judgment on the land beast, on both of them. The land beast being apostate Israel and the sea beast being Rome, their number one symbols of religious idolatry, burnt to the ground. Here's what F.W. Farrar says in his book, Also, it was not the least of the sign of the times that the space of one year saw wrapped in flames the two most hallowed shrines of the ancient world, the temple of Jerusalem and the temple of the great Latin God, the great Roman God. Tacitus goes on to describe the fighting in the civil wars in the year of four emperors. Quote, Close by the fighting stood the people of Rome like the audience at a show, cheering and clapping this side or that in turns as if this were a mock battle in the arena. Whenever one side gave way, men would hide in shops or take refuge in some great house. They were then dragged out and killed at the instance of the mob, who gained most of the loot, for the soldiers were bent on bloodshed and massacre, and the booty fell to the crowd. The whole city presented a frightful caricature of its normal self, fighting and casualties at one point, baths and restaurants at another. Here the spilling of blood and the litter of dead bodies. 
close by, prostitutes and their like, all the vice associated with a life of idleness and pleasure, all the dreadful deeds typical of a pitiless sack. These were so intimately linked that an observer would have thought Rome in the grip of a simultaneous orgy of violence and dissipation. There had indeed been times in the past when armies had fought inside the city. No less cruelty had been displayed then, but now there was a brutish indifference and not even a momentary interruption in the pursuit of pleasure. As if this were one more entertainment in the festive season, they gloated over horrors and profited by them, careless which side won and glorying in the calamities of the state. Now that ought to tell you about the judgment that came on the Roman Empire. The kingdom became darkened, and people gnawed their tongues because of pain, John says in Revelation 16.10, and they still blasphemed the God of heaven. They did not repent. Once again, horrible judgment. They didn't repent. Now it says his kingdom became darkened. Darkened is the, basically means lights turned out, and this is a familiar symbol, the decreation rhetoric that stands for political turmoil, the fall of rulers, regime change, and I've quoted this these verses so many times from the Old Testament. I'm just going to give you three now just to give you a taste of it again. Is Isaiah 13, 9 and 10, referring to the destruction of Babylon by the Medes. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it, for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. So there's some darkening rhetoric stands for the fall of Babylon. Well, likewise, the Romans' kingdom was darkened here in Revelation 16.10. The beast kingdom became darkened. Here's another Old Testament reference of darkening rhetoric. Amos 8, 8 and 9. Now, this is a prophecy against Israel. Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwells therein? And, and it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I will darken the earth in the clear day. Again, of course, the sun's not going to go down at noon. That's prophetic, poetic language talking about regime change. Turn out the lights, folks. The party's over. We see the same kind of rhetoric in Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8. This is a prophecy against Egypt. And when I shall put you out, I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you, and set darkness upon the land, says the Lord God. So there is more dark, darkening rhetoric, typical symbol of the prophets, saying, you're going down. Now, the Roman Empire didn't go down quite as dramatically as the uh, Jewish Empire did. It kind of petered out. It was finally, by the time you get to the 5th century, the the remnants were fighting with each other. That's a very interesting time, as you see the Roman Empire die. It finally died, and historians debate upon when it finally died. It got sacked, I think it was in 410, by Alaric, one of the barbarian enemies of Rome, and then it got sacked in 555. Alaric was a Goth, I think. I'm pretty sure. forgot which Goth he was. Ostrogoth or Visigoth. He was a Goth. In 555, the Vandals got uh, sacked Rome. And then finally, 476, Odiacer, who was a, a barbarian of unknown origin, he decided it was no point in naming himself an emperor. He'd just rule, but not call himself an emperor. He was the king of Italy. So, the, so 476 is usually when people say the Roman Empire went down. But that is irrelevant anyway, because the fifth angel's judgment is talking about the judgment on Rome in the year of four emperors right at the same time as the Jewish war 
And so the empire was judged in that way. It's not talking about the ultimate end of the Roman Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, I have now finished Revelation 16, verses 1 through 11. In our next audio, I'm going to take up Revelation 16, 12 through 21, and we'll look at the 6th and 7th bold judgments. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.